Hello everyone, and welcome to another episode of Preview Review, the movie trailer podcast hosted by myself, Tyler Ellison, and myself, Ryan Toon. Ryan. Tyler. Happy one month. Oh, thank you. This happy is, one month. This is our fourth week recording a podcast together. Wow. I didn't get you anything. It's okay. But yeah. you have my unconditional love and affection. Well, that's enough. All right. I didn't get you anything either, so that's why. Wow, oh, you're the worst co-host in the world. If this is your first time joining us, <laughs> what we do on this podcast is each week, Ryan and I will talk about four movie trailers that we've seen, either in theaters or on the internet recently, and we'll talk about what we think of them and what we think the trailers indicate about the movie itself. Week four, four trailers. It's like we planned it's it. It's serendipitous. It just lines up. Number four. We're not doing five trailers next week. <laughs> no, it's going to stay at four, and it has been four since the inception of this concept. This is the only time it'll line up. Until episode 444. We, we will do 444 trailers in exactly. a single episode. But it's only going to be four minutes long. <laughs> <laughs> um, before we get started with what we have today, I have uh, some business to take care of. I'm reaching in my pocket, and Ryan appears confused. I don't know what's Even happening. though he reminded me earlier, when we started planning today's episode, that on last week's episode, I promised the listeners oh that I would God. provide my ranking of every song on the Frozen soundtrack. I thought this was just a gag. <laughs> nope, it's happening right now. I you were just going to do this on Twitter if you were actually going to do it. No, it's happening live and on the air. Well, not live because this is going to get published in a couple days, but it's happening right now between you and me well, in this room. Pre-recorded. Alright, so this is my definitive ranking of the songs on the soundtrack of the 2013 Disney animated film Frozen. Now, on the last episode I mentioned that the best song, in my opinion was the one with the like vocal harmonizing that sounds all like Scandinavian. Yeah, I called it Frozen it Heart and you said it wasn't. But it's I not, think it is. It's not Frozen Heart, but it turns out that it's part of the film's score. It's not like a sung song part of the soundtrack. So, for that reason, it's not been included on this list. And I'm only listing the nine feature songs that are included on the soundtrack that are sung by members of the cast. Last week you said you were doing a tier list. So are there like S tier or is it just like rank? No, this isn't a tier. This is uh, like a numbered list. Like one, So there's nine. So it's one through nine. But I'm going to go starting with number nine and work to my number one selection. Okay. All right. So my number nine, a.k.a. the worst song in the movie Frozen is Reindeers Are Better Than People. Boo. This song is 50 minutes, uh, not 50 minutes, 50 seconds long. Of pure joy. It's Jonathan Groff's only song in the film, and Jonathan Groff got his start as a Broadway singer. Why is he only singing this half, like, mediocre, not-in-tune song to the only character in the film that doesn't speak? It just doesn't... It doesn't work out for me. I'm sorry. It could have been a lot better, and I want more from it. And maybe if it... Like... What this song screams to me is that there could have been a longer, more fleshed out version of this song that was included in the film, and it just didn't get there. And Maybe so, for that reason, Broadway version. For that reason, it's at the bottom of my list. All right, number eight is for the first time in forever. That That's song, a good song too. is not good. Okay, Fixer Upper like is it. not better than any of these songs. It's the bottom. Oh, just you wait. It's not at the bottom. 
slightly above for the first time in forever is for the first time in forever reprise the reprise is better than the original version which one has hang in there joan because that's the better one the first one what you're wrong (laughs) no the rape the reprise is better or reprise some say um because there's more character development in that song all right next on the list is Number six, do you want to build a snowman? No, that's a that good song. That song is bad. No, it's not. It Why do you hate from, the first half of this movie? It goes, because it's the worst half. <laughs> it goes from a trippy and happy song, and then there's that depressing violin interlude, which doesn't even make sense if you listen to the soundtrack. It's a musical. You have to watch the and music unfold. It's just not good. Anyways, number five on the list is Frozen Heart. The opening song, I do like that one still, where they're chopping up the ice. I like Frozen Heart. It's Five a, is a good ranking, but a lot of those other songs were better. All right, number four on the list is Let It Go. Let It Go, of course, I think is the crown jewel of this musical, except for I got tired of it, so it dropped to number four. That's so far down, just because of overplaying. Number three, finally, some justice, Fixer Upper Boo. by the... <laughs> The Rock Trolls. Straight garbage. It's so fun. The clumpy way he walks or the way he's kind of smelly. And I think it's a cute message of like, this person doesn't look perfect on the outside, but they still have some endearing qualities. To me, that song says, hey, even though that guy looks ugly, you can still queer eye him and make him look yes, good. Yes, and queer eye is one of the best shows on television, so I don't see what the I like watching is. the Tan France videos on YouTube. I think Tan French should voice one of the rock trolls and can we get all five of the queer eye the fab five to uh to voice rock trolls in Frozen 2 no because I don't like the rock trolls and I like the fab people okay they're good characters whatever name one rock troll number two love is an open door love is an open door is a great track Santino Fontana is a great singer and this is actually a song that showcases his ability and nothing will ever beat the line of we finish each other's sandwiches that's what i was gonna say our mental synchronization can have just one explanation you and i were just meant to be this is a pretty good song but i wish there was a reprise once it was revealed he was a villain the reprise would be better (laughs) and finally the best song in summer olaf's masterpiece josh gad i think is so fun and funny and he plays the song perfectly and I like that it's like he's a good singer but it's also kind of way over the top it reminds me of like a a Mary Poppins bit a little bit because he's like transported to all these different like imaginary things as he's like fantasizing what he could do during the summertime I really like it it's good I also really like in summer we can agree about that but would you have it as number one Mm, well it's definitely above fixer upper it it might be number two but only after Reindeers are Better Than People. <laughs> mm, Reindeers are Better Than People is not a good song. So, anyways, the, like I said at the beginning, that is the definitive ranking of every song in Frozen. And you are just going to have to deal with it. And this is the baggage that comes with co-hosting a podcast with somebody for a full month. Well, you're wrong. <laughs> <laughs> well, before we get into today's episode, I also have some business to take care of before we jump into the, the meat of today's episode. Last week, we talked about our box office predictions for the summer and said we're going to reveal the winner the first week of September, but we realized that's not fair to any movie released in the month of August because they have way less time 
versus the movies released in May. So we will now be giving the announcement of who won our box office game in what late October, early November. Sure. It'll come when it comes, and you'll all enjoy it. Yep. So if you were on the edge of your seat waiting till September for the results, sorry. You can sit back. We got a bit of a delay here in our. It's only fair production. Uh, I do want to also mention before we get started that last episode we discussed what it took to get on our list of friends of the show. And the bar has been lowered drastically. (laughs) Not necessarily, because what we said was to be a friend of the show, you have to be our friend and you have to do something for the show. So previous examples have been Matt Lockshaw, who was our friend who composed our theme song, and Hannah Olson, who was our friend who did our graphic design for our logo. But... Both great friends of the show. A... (laughs) Rather aggressive text message I received from one of our friends, Jonathan, reminded me that he supplied our sound hardware, aka the microphone we use to record this podcast, and has not yet been mentioned and counted as a friend of the show. So Jonathan, if you're listening, you're a friend of the show, I guess. You did it. Now anyone else listening, all it takes is an aggressive text to Tyler to become a friend of the show. I mean, to be fair, without the microphone, we wouldn't have a podcast. I mean... We could. We talked about having a podcast for so long, and the one thing that we kept coming back to was like, we have to go online and buy a microphone. Yeah, but we were about to do that, and then a free one just came into our lap. Exactly. So it drastically lowered the startup cost for us to even produce this podcast. That is true. So thanks. I think it counts. Jonathan, congratulations. You're the third friend of the show. Now this is a recurring segment because we've done three in consecutive episodes. So hurry up. If somebody wants to be a friend of the show to be featured on our next episode, you have to do something for us this week. That's about as good as what the other three people have done. Yes. But honestly, I don't know what we need. I don't know what we need, but I know what we want. What do we want? I think what we want the most is for you to give us your thoughts on two movies that you've seen recently. I'm talking about Child's Play and Toy Story 4. I'm glad you clarified. We've discussed both trailers on this podcast, and you've seen both these movies. I have. So, what'd you think? So let's start talking about Child's Play since I saw that film first. Child's Play is a pretty fun film. It knows what kind of film it is. It doesn't take itself too seriously. It realizes that having a killer doll is a funny thing. And I saw it more as a dark comedy than a horror, honestly. I was laughing more than I was... Uh, frightened? I don't know what that says about me as a person. Screaming. Well, frightened. Yeah, I, I, I don't... Cowering. Sure, these are all verbs that work. But yeah, Child's Play is fun. If you're a fan of this franchise or fun horror kind of goofy movies in general, go ahead and see it. Good time. Toy Story 4, on the other hand, is a whole nother experience. If you were worried, how can they possibly add to the perfect trilogy that is the Toy Story trilogy... Throw those fears out the window. This movie fits perfectly in with the story of Woody and the toys. This is really Woody's story going forward. And we talked about how the group of toys moved on after Andy left. But now how does that affect them going forward? And that's what this story is about. And I thought it was a great time. It really hit me in the heartstrings. And I loved it. Thanks for that review, Ryan. You're welcome. I have one question. I have one answer. What will you give me if I can correctly guess the number of times that you cried while watching Toy Story 4? 
Mm, you can get the a Happy Meal toy because they're currently Toy Story 4 toys. Okay. I'm going to guess it was two times. It was only once, so Ooh. I get to keep the McDonald's Happy There's Meal toy. There's only one heart-wrenching scene in the movie. No, I could feel the tears. They were like behind my eyes, but they hadn't come out in that one scene. Ooh. But then they really came out in the scene where I really cried. Wow. So it was almost two. I thought I was there. Darn. Sorry, I get to keep the Forky toy. <laughs> it was Forky? It was Forky. That's like the best one! <laughs> Sorry, Tyler. Wow, I feel betrayed. We can post Forky on Instagram. <laughs> okay. And you can look at him longingly as wow. I get to play with him. What could have been? So what trailers have you brought to discuss this week, Tyler? On today's episode, I would like to discuss the trailers for Annabelle Comes Home and The Lion King, the 2019 live-action, quote-unquote, live-action remake of Disney 1994 original film. How about you, Ryan? I would like to discuss the film known as Fast and Furious Presents Hobbs and Shaw and Blinded by the Light, the Bruce Springsteen inspired by a true story inspirational fun time movie. Sounds great. Now, we did mention both Annabelle Comes Home and Hobbs and Shaw as being featured on today's episode. So for our opening question, I would like to ask, Ryan, what's the best spinoff? Well, before I answer that question, Tyler, I'd really appreciate it if you respected the full title of the film and called it, <laughs> from here on out, Fast and Furious Presents Hobbs and Shaw, because it's the name of the film for a reason. It wouldn't just have this long superfluous title just to make you understand that it's part of the Fast and Furious franchise. Fast and Furious, the two characters Fast and Furious are coming out and presenting the two characters Hobbs and Shaw. You're right. But I do like that they are keeping the and as a part of their brand. Yes, it's not just Hobbs 9. Hobbs with Shaw. Hobbs or Shaw? Hobbs featuring Shaw? Hobbs slash Shaw. <laughs> like Fosse Verdon. So obviously, both Hob Hobbs and Shaw, or Fast and Furious presents Hobbs and Shaw. Thank you. It's a spinoff of the Fast and the Furious franchise, and Annabelle Comes Home is a spinoff of the Conjuring franchise, which started with The Conjuring and The Conjuring 2, and has also had spinoffs such as The Nun and The Curse of La Llorona. Correct. So, I will restate the question. Ryan, what's the best spinoff? The best spinoff is something that takes a character that you've seen in previous films, and you kind of are intrigued by this character and you want to see what they can go deeper into this. And you go, wow, this is the story I didn't know I wanted, but now that you're telling me, I'm thrilled that you're telling me. And for this reason, I say the best spinoff is Deadpool. Deadpool was a character introduced in the spinoff X-Men Origins Wolverine, oh which is a spinoff of the X-Men franchise. When Deadpool shows up on the scene in X-Men Origins Wolverine, he's very different than the Deadpool in the Deadpool movies, and fans were not happy that he was not at all comic accurate. They tried again. His second on-screen portrayal in Deadpool was much more true to the character from the comics. It was a funny movie, good action. It was very meta, and it points out a lot of the tropes in super superhero films, which I think at the time it came out was a good time to deconstruct the genre. So that's why I believe Deadpool is the best spinoff. Now Tyler, do you have a different spinoff that you believe is the best spinoff? I do, and I'm going to disagree with your point that a spinoff is about taking a character that we've seen on screen and expanding upon their story because the spinoff I am choosing features hardly any 
original characters from the franchise in and of itself. And I am talking about Rogue One, a spinoff of the Star Wars saga. Oh, you'd know that if you correctly and respectfully referred to it as its full title, Rogue, Rogue One, a, a Star, Star Wars, Wars story. story. That's correct. I apologize. Uh, but yeah, we have new characters, Jin Erso, Cassian Andor, Saguera, who is incorporated into the canon on the animated series Rebels. He was first in the Clone Wars. And the Clone Wars. Right? Is it both? Yes. Okay. So First Clone Wars, then Rebels. When the movie came out, it was like a tie-in thing. So, for that sake, I guess, it is a crossover character. And we do get digitized Princess Leia at the end. And we have, like, uh, what's Jimmy Smith's character? Bail Organa. Bail Organa and Mon Mothma. Tarkin. Tarkin. Digitized Tarkin. Okay, so there's a few, but like the main guys from the the central characters of uh, Rogue One are not featured anywhere else in the Star Wars saga. But it was an example of what you said. Like, I didn't know this was a story I wanted to see, but now that you're telling it to me, I'm intrigued because we kind of just accept in A New Hope that the Death Star plans were uh, gathered by a team and brought to the Rebel Alliance. So that Luke's team could eventually go and blow it up because it exposed the rather uh, easy to spot weakness of the Death Star's plans. And so I liked what Rogue One did in telling a story that kind of explained why it was so easy to find that weakness because it was actually planned by like the plant of the person. Uh, it was actually planned by the person who Galen designed the Death Star as like a way to help the rebels because he was being coerced to help the Empire. He wasn't doing it voluntarily. Thought that was really interesting, and I enjoyed the way that it told the story. But it kind of took like a darker perspective, a more maybe morally ambiguous or a little bit more of a at least um, it, more gray. Yeah, less one noted compared to the rest of the Star Wars saga. And so I really liked their depictions of the more militant Rebel Alliance factions, the more militant stormtroopers and Empire armies, and kind of showcased why this tension was such a big deal within the galaxy because when we see Luke enter it and his whole storyline in A New Hope and even through the following movies we don't really see how the Empire is affecting the world around Luke. It's a very kind of like centralized story on just who Luke is encountering. Yeah at the beginning of A New Hope Luke wants to join the Empire. Yeah and so I think it's like a clever way to kind of show more characters, lives were at stake, more characters within this universe gave their lives even for this cause because what they were doing mattered. So we have the Deadpool spinoff and the Sagarera spinoff. The character everyone <laughs> wanted to see more about. Well, is the Deadpool that is in the as in the Deadpool movies is not the same Deadpool as in Wolverine, right? It's kind of like a redone origin story, right? Well, the X-Men movie continuity timeline is <laughs> it's not, all broken. not real. So, yes and no, whatever Ryan Reynolds wants to say right. about it. Well, Rogue One definitely fits very well into the canon of Star Wars and that storyline, and that's another reason why I respect it, is just the way that it fills in this kind of gap. And we didn't really know that we wanted that gap filled, but I think it's a cool way to kind of do that. Yeah, it filled the gap just like Luke filled the blaster hole and blew up the Death Star. Ooh, nice one. Thanks. <laughs> I've been working on that for, for minutes. I feel like it was seconds. It was seconds. All right, thanks. But seconds turn into minutes, Tyler. <laughs> <laughs> it's just how... Just like spinoffs 
turn into sequels. Just Ooh. like the movie you're talking about. That's right. Annabelle Comes Home. So this is not the second, but the third sequel. The second sequel. Second sequel, third installment in the spin-off franchise of the Conjuring franchise, Annabelle. This movie's coming out on June 26th. It's directed by Gary Doberman, who, uh, this will be his directorial debut, but he was a writer on both Annabelle 1 and 2, as well as The Nun, which is another installment, or another spin-off installment in the Conjuring universe. And it. Oh, he also wrote it with uh, Kerry Fukunaga. Very cool. Yeah, way to go. So tell us what Annabelle Come Home is all about, Tyler. Annabelle Comes Home is what appears to be the culmination of this spinoff because Annabelle, no, Annabelle is... 4? Uh, maybe. I don't know. I don't think so. Uh, the reason being Annabelle is first introduced in the movie The Conjuring as one of the many items possessed or otherwise that is owned by demonologists Ed and Lorraine Warren who are the central characters in The Conjuring. And The Conjuring too. That is correct. I knew it. Um, in Annabelle Comes Home... This is the first time we're seeing an Annabelle film because the first two Annabelle films were about sort of her origin and what was happening with this haunted doll before she entered the hands of Ed and Lorraine Warren. In Annabelle Comes Home, we see what happens once she does enter the hands of the Warrens. And so it seems like kind of this melding of the Conjuring universe and Annabelle spinoff franchise. Well, so to me, Tyler, this film sounds a lot like the inner between piece that Rogue One was, but for The Conjuring. Yeah, I suppose it could be. Um, I don't know that it'll be that exciting because it doesn't seem like it's really taking a different approach. All of The Conjuring movies seem to have kind of the same approach to the horror genre. None of them really take any big risks or try to reinvent the wheel by any means on what it means to be this type of ghost horror movie. So I think it'll be pretty standard fare for what we get from other installments within this franchise as a whole. So, Tyler, just to let the viewers know, what is your experience They're with... They're listeners because this isn't video recorded. I mean, but... they have eyes and they can look at their phones and see how long they've been listening. <laughs> okay. So, to let the people that are both listening and viewing this podcast know, what is your history with The Conjuring franchise? The Conjuring, I remember seeing... I think I saw the first two in theaters, and I might have even seen Annabelle in theaters. But I don't think I ever saw Annabelle Creation which is the second Annabelle film. I definitely didn't see The Nun. Definitely didn't see Curse of Yala or the... Those are all... Yeah, that's all the movies. And I don't even think I remember The Conjuring or Annabelle very well at all. Hmm. Well, I've seen the first Conjuring film. It's very good. I've seen The Nun. It's not very good. It's actually bad. And I've seen half of Annabelle Creation... Because I started watching it on demand and then I had to go somewhere, so I didn't get to finish it. <laughs> Sorry, my real life takes priority over on demand films. <laughs> but I'm actually excited for this film because it does have uh, the Warrens in this movie, Patrick Wilson and Vera Farmiga, coming back to reprise their roles and connect this film more because something I felt like the spin off movie The Nun was missing was a connection to the other films like this felt like an origin story for the nun and maybe that's more just because i didn't see the conjuring 2 where the nun's character was introduced but it kind of felt like a standalone story that quickly tied together with it at the end when it cut to archival footage of vera farmiga giving a lecture about the nun or something but this movie looks like they're part of the plot and that it can actually affect 
the future of the series and you get a little backstory of both Annabelle and the Warrens. Mm-hmm. Uh, the premise of this movie appears to be that the Warrens are receive Annabelle from wherever she comes from and take them back or take Annabelle back to their home. She gets locked in that room where they keep all their creepy stuff in the sealed glass case. And then they decide what do two people that collect only haunted and cursed objects do? Go but leave their ten year old daughter home alone and Is this a spin off to Home Alone? Just, oh my gosh. Because no, I love not. Home Alone. Home Alone is my favorite Christmas movie. <laughs> but they leave their ten year old daughter home not alone with a babysitter oh. and say, See you later. But the babysitter is also like a fifteen year old. Yeah. And so what do the babysitter... Uh, there's actually two babysitters, I think. Or the babysitter like invites a friend over or something like that. But there's basically mm-hmm. two teenage girls and then a 10-year-old girl. And they're like, hey, I hear your family collects creepy stuff. Let's go look at it. And the girl's like, don't do that. And then the next scene, they're in the room. So I'm going to assume that they do it anyway. And Annabelle gets out. The alternate title of this film was Annabelle, colon, break and free. <laughs> We're soaring flying. Exactly. Um, yeah, and then the uh, the three girls have to combat the evil demons that are present because not only is Annabelle released, but Annabelle's also like a beacon or a sign to the other demons Spookies. and ghouls that are in the room. Ghouls. To come forth and I guess get a soul. I'm they assuming that's that's, yeah, Haunter's Gotta Haunt. Exactly. <laughs> I guess that's the premise of this film. Something else that excites me about this film is that uh, this is James Wan's first interaction with the Annabelle spinoff series. He's helping write this film. And he usually sticks only to the main series, The Conjuring and The Conjuring 2, which, well, The Conjuring was the best film out of the two and a half that I've seen of the film series. So that it gives some weight and gravitas to the prestige of this film. Yeah, and I think James Wan just cares about the portrayal of Ed and Lorraine Warren because those are characters he... Well, he didn't create. These are based on a true story. Ed and Lorraine Warren are real demonologists like that are still alive. Or at least Lorraine's still alive. I don't know about Ed. But I think James Wan cares about the way that they're portrayed in this film franchise. And that is part of his involvement in writing this movie is to like allow those characters to interact in the storyline the way that he would see it because... That's, like I said, the blending of these two, of the spinoff back into the original sort of, like, saga. Honestly, I think this looks like a spooky fun time. (laughs) And even though I'm not that well-versed in the Conjuring universe, I might watch half of this on demand. (laughs) I think I'm kind of over the same old, same old of these Conjuring movies. Especially because, I mean, I haven't seen La Llorona or The Nun. The Nun's not good, don't do it. I feel like the spinoffs are just getting worse, and even Isn't though crazy I like The Conjuring... that It's crazy that Annabelle had a trilogy before the main series did. Yeah, and The Conjuring 3 like is slated to come out next year, but they're wrapping up Annabelle. Maybe Annabelle has a more primary role in Conjuring 3. Mm. So Conjuring 3 is like a sequel to both The Conjuring line and The Annabelle line. Wow, it's like the Avengers Endgame of Conjuring movies. Bum, 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 bum. all right stay tuned for next year when we still have this podcast and we'll discuss the conjuring endgame Ooh! (laughs) spoiler alert ed warren dies (laughs) oh no
All right, so let's move on and talk about The Lion King, the 2019 quote-unquote live-action remake of Disney's 1994 original film. This movie's coming out in just a few weeks, July 19th, and it's directed by John Favreau, who did Iron Man 1 and 2, Elf, Chef, and more recently, The Jungle Book. There's a lot of praise for the way that the digital reanimation of the movie made the animals look and feel very real on screen, and John Favreau is trying to bring that same interpretation to one of the most beloved Disney movies of all time, The Lion King. The cast for this movie is absolutely outstanding. Donald Glover as Simba, Beyonce Knowles Carter as Nala, Chueta Ojiofor as Scar, Seth Rogen and Billy Eichner as Timon and Pumbaa, John Oliver as Zazu, Alfred Woodard, John Connie, and James Earl Jones reprising his role as Mufasa. Absolutely stellar cast. And I happen to be very, very excited for this film. I think that a reimagining of The Lion King is an interesting concept. I don't know that people are, are begging to see this movie necessarily. The original seems to be still very well liked, but I think that most of the Disney movies from kind of this era are very beloved, and I think that this is the opportunity to update those beloved stories and bring them and usher them into a new generation with a new style of animation that is visually stunning and um, I'm really excited to see this in theaters because I think both the cast and the new animation style will be very impressive and will bring a lot of new life to this story. Ryan, what are your thoughts? Well, I mean, I'll see it, but that's because I'm part of the problem. And this movie is just there to bank off the success of the 1994 original. It's just a new cast with new animation, which honestly, I think if you compare side by side... Every time I'm going to choose the original animation over the new one because it's hand-drawn animation and you're able to actually see the characters' emotions in their faces. They're allowed to emote and get cartoony with the big eyes. And I think that helps in a story like Lion King, which is so dramatic and yet has such endearing comedy with characters like Timon and Pumbaa. I think this is the most evident when you're looking at the end of the trailer when it's that classic shot of Timon, Pumbaa, and Simba walking across and time is passing and they're just walking in a straight line like they're normal animals. But when that scene happens in the original film, they're swaying their head back and forth, big smiles, like you can see from a mile away what these characters are about. When you look at it in the new one, it's just there's some computer animated things walking across a bridge and I don't know. I'm not excited. The voice cast is cool, but I feel like they could be used for something better. I mean, why not a new original story? Yeah, to me, I just feel like this is something that would be like the equivalent of like a Broadway revival of a really beloved musical. People have seen the story before, they love the story, but you bring in a new cast, you maybe update some elements of it to make it more modern, and you have a whole new show that people will fall in love with all over again, and... That's just part of what it means, I think, for Disney to be doing remakes. Is it's It definitely is um, a way for them to make money, but I think also to kind of show the technological advances and the narrative advances that they can provide. I think that one cool thing that this movie could do is to incorporate some new elements to provide some more character development and narrative development into the movie. When The Lion King and other movies from this era of Disney were originally released, kids' movies usually tended to be a lot shorter and so a lot of plot points were kind of rushed and the the plot of the film just moved at a lot quicker pace. I think now kids and families are used to a little bit longer films and so 
in this iteration of the Lion King, we might get some more scenes that flesh out characters like Simba's mother and Nala and these other characters that were kind of sidelined in the original to kind of focus on the story of Simba and his relationship with his father. And that would be a really cool thing to see is like this revitalized iteration that allows other characters that were a little bit sidelined in the original version to shine. And I think that that is also an example of why they have such a stellar voice cast is because they want to have really authentic and ingenuitive and new voices and characters that are brought to screen. I'd agree with that, except for they're bringing back James Earl Jones, who's not new or innovative in any way. He's just going to do the same thing he did in the last one and get a paycheck. Yeah, well, James Earl Jones, I think Mufasa will follow a very similar storyline because, spoiler alert, I guess he dies very early in the film. And then only a couple times does his voice play a key role in like reminding Simba some truths about the world and about himself. And I think Mufasa is one of the characters from the original film that doesn't really need to be expounded upon more because everything we need to learn about Mufasa, we learn through Simba's realization of what his father has taught him. And so that's not necessarily one of the characters that I think could use some more expounding upon in this new version, but I'm thinking more of the other characters that I mentioned, like Timon and Pumbaa, Nala, and so on. You want expansion on Timon and Pumbaa? They had their whole spinoff movie, Lion King <laughs> one and a half, and it has the original voice cast, and it's 2D animated, so I'm sticking with that. Other than that, Sarabi, who is Simba's mother's name, who you didn't figure it out, so you're a fake fan, and Nala, they weren't as important to the story of the Lion King because it is Simba's story, and I think if you're going to go off and do these new things with these characters who aren't necessarily part of the main plot line, that's just adding fluff that can easily be cut. And I don't think a shorter runtime or a faster pace is a problem. And I don't think anyone's complained about the short runtime or the pace of the original film. So I don't see why that needs to be addressed today. Well, I think from the trailers, you seem to be not super excited about the movie, but I guess you're still going to go see it. I'm excited because I think the new animation looks really cool. And I think the voice cast seems awesome. So I'm excited to see what it actually brings to the story by actually going to see the film. And uh, we'll just have to maybe revisit this and... Uh, Find out what your thoughts are after you actually see the whole movie. Ooh, Ryan's review roundup, The Lion King, the most <laughs> anticipated review roundup yet. You gotta wait till sometime in July. Alright, so we mentioned The Lion King has a very incredible voice cast, and on previous episodes of this podcast we've also mentioned how sometimes children's animated films have really insane and crazy casts like attached Sterling to them. K. Brown and Eugenio Derbez. <laughs> yeah, like... And the Angry Birds too, And Nicki Minaj also being in that same movie with Ooh, both of those Aquafina. actors. So, I want to play a game with you, Ryan, if you'll allow it. And that is one where I will read to you the voice cast from a children's animated film from... The past? Yeah, within the last two decades or so. Mm, so within my lifetime. And you will have to guess what the movie is. Well, guess what, Tyler? I'm going to allow it, because it sounds like a fun game. <laughs> All right. I'm going to reach for my notes over here. Good thing I'm bound and gagged. You don't have to be bound and gagged for this game. You did that voluntarily. All right. Here's how this is going to work. Well, I'll read sounds... to you the voice cast. You'll have a chance to answer. If you don't know it, I'll read to you the year that the movie was released, and hopefully that might jog your memory as to some of the films that were released within that time period. I'm pretty good at movie years, so that might really help me out if I'm really stuck. Here we go. Let's play. All right. There are six of these. Here's number one. The cast, and these are all exclusively children's animated films. Okay. Just so you know. The cast for this film included Reese Witherspoon, Seth Rogen, Hugh Laurie, Kiefer Sutherland, 
Will Arnett, Rain Wilson, Paul Rudd, and Stephen Colbert. Hmm. I'm I'm stumped. This What's movie came year? out in two thousand nine. Two thousand nine? Wow. Ten years ago. Um with Stephen Stephen Colbert was relevant ten years ago? He had the Colbert board. Yeah, but I mean okay. Um I, I don't know. This movie is Monsters vs. Aliens. Wow. Oh, Seth Rogen is the blob thing. I didn't mm-hmm. I Bob the Blob. Who else is in that movie? Hugh Laurie, Kiefer Sutherland, and Paul Rudd. Hugh Laurie's the tiny little dude, but I don't know anybody else. I've seen that movie once. And Reese Witherspoon is the main character. Yeah, she's the giant woman. Alright, not off to a great start. Here we go. Well, at least I recognized the movie when you told it to me. That was probably the hardest one, actually, so you might do better from now on. Alright, movie number two features the voice talents of Zach Braff, Joan Cusack, Patrick Stewart, and Adam West. Oh, Chicken Little? It is Chicken Little. Well done. I know that one. Zach Braff and Joan Cusack are the stars. Patrick yeah, she's Stewart, the ugly duckling and in Chicken Little. Adam West have less uh, popular or less prominent roles. Yeah, I don't remember Adam West being in that film, but I just went through it. It's I was a very like, when is Zach Braff character. ever in a children's animated film other than Chicken Little? Also, go back and listen to Zach Braff's voicing of Chicken Little in this movie. It is basically John Mulaney, the stand-up comedian. It's hilarious. Alright, here we go. Movie number three features the talents of Bruce Willis, Steve Carell, Over the Hedge, Will Shatner, It's Over the Hedge, and Avril Lavigne. I love it is this movie. Over the Hedge. Wow. Has a Ben Fold soundtrack. It's so fun. Steve Carell plays a little hamster that eats food and like sugar, and he's the first Quicksilver scene where time slows down and he can run around and like mess with things. Bruce Willis is a shady raccoon who's like, come on, naive people, help me steal things so I can pay off a bear. It's I like this movie a lot. <laughs> That was very impressive. <laughs> All right, movie number four. The cast includes Anne Hathaway, Tracy Morgan, Will I Am, and Jesse Eisenberg. Rio. It is Rio. Well done. Jesse Eisenberg and Anne Hathaway play the main birds. Yes, they do. And Will I Am is like one of the. I was surprised Will I Am was in this movie. Like, oh, he beatboxes in the movie. Yeah. Okay, that makes sense. He's like a hip hop side character. In the sequ- or Jermaine Clements in that movie too. He is. Yeah. This isn't. The top people that are in the movie. These are random I, people. I figured that, that out when you put Adam West in. <laughs> okay. I remember Adam West. He's like an announcer guy. Yeah, in the movie. he does something like that. It's like a very small cameo. All right, second to last movie. Here we go. Which movie includes Hugh Jackman, Chris Pine, Jude Law, and Alec Baldwin? Hugh Jackman. Um. Can I get a year? 2012. Okay. So that rolls out a couple things. Only I was seven thinking, years ago. Because I was like, I was thinking it might be Missing Link. Because mm-hmm. Hugh Jackman's in that one. Mm-hmm. But then that rolls that out because that came out this year. I was thinking Boss Baby because of Alec Baldwin. That rolls mm-hmm. that out too. Can I hear the cast one more time? And it's 2012, right? Mm-hmm. Hugh Jackman, Chris Pine, Jude Law, Alec Baldwin. Hmm. The League of White Men voice actors. Basically, this movie was called Rise of the Guardians. Oh, I've not seen this movie, but Chris Pine plays Jack Frost. Chris Pine plays Jack Frost. Alec Baldwin plays Santa. 
Jude Law plays the Easter Bunny. The or Easter Bunny's in this Pine. movie. No, Chris Pine's Jack Frost. Oh, Hugh Jackman plays the Easter Bunny. Then I don't know who Jude Law is. Basically, this is the movie about all the like childhood fantasy characters belonging like the to this like. Um, They're the guardians. Council, and they have to rise. That, yeah, our guardians of childhood, I guess. Of the seasons, it was something. a terrible box office bomb. So but people really like it. There's a lot of uh, fan art for Jack Frost. Mm, some of it's probably 18 plus. I mean, I don't dabble, but. <laughs> <laughs> All right, here's the final film selection for this game. Which animated movie features the voice talents of Zachary Levi, Kelly Clarkson, Tyler Perry? Chris Christopherson and Oprah Winfrey. What? And yes, it is Chris Christopherson from the 1980s interpretation of A Star is Born. I know who Chris Christopherson is. So think of it as like an older Bradley Cooper and maybe you can guess it right. Zachary Levi. Oh wait, can you tell me a little bit more? Sorry, read the cast again. Zachary Levi, Kelly Clarkson, Tyler Perry, Chris Christopherson, and Oprah Winfrey. Um, there's only one animated film I know that Kelly Clarkson's in, but I'm going to ask for the year just to verify it. 2017. Okay, I was wrong, because I thought it was going to be Ugly Dolls. Mm. I was like, I don't think any of those it's other people not. are in Ugly Dolls, because you didn't say Pitbull. Nope, and um, I definitely would have included Pitbull <laughs> if that was the movie I was talking about. I don't know. I don't know. This is the animated movie The Star. It was an animated children's Christmas okay. film that came out a couple years ago. That did come out, and it bombed. It was like in theater for like two weeks. I didn't Stephen Hume is also a, in it. I didn't even know it had a cast. And Joel was, Osteen is also it included. It looks so but, cheap. I didn't know. They spent all their money on the cast. And it's also a musical, so that explains like Kelly Clarkson's in there. And Zachary Levi can sing. Zachary Levi can sing, yeah. Like Entangled. Mm-hmm. Chris Christopherson, maybe? I don't know. Uh, yeah, well, Star is born. I'm saying, I don't know if he actually sings the movie, but... Do you think Tyler Perry sings? I don't know if he actually does. I mean, anyone can sing, just like anyone can cook. <laughs> Thanks, Ratatouille. You didn't ask me about Ratatouille. Pat Oswalt, you would have gotten it right away. Well, he's also in The Secret Life of Pets, too. Ooh, that's true. Thanks for playing, Ryan. Thanks. That was uh, fun. Did I win? Yeah, or... you were better at that than I thought you would be. What was my final score? Um, Let's see. Which ones did you get right? I got Over you the got Hedge one. for sure. I got Chicken Little. You got only two wrongs. So oh no, you got three I think wrong. I got three wrong, yeah. So that's fifty so percent. That's that's bad. That's an F. Do I win anything? You have to repeat this class. Well, we'll play this game again another time. Well, okay. Stay tuned. <laughs> but instead of playing another game right now, I think I want to talk about the biggest names in action right now. <laughs> of course, I'm talking about Fast and Furious present Hobbs and Shaw. Wow. This film. Comes out on August 2nd, is directed by David Leach, and is not a Calvin and Hobbes spinoff. I was surprised to find out. There's no. no tiger in this movie. No, but it is a Fast and Furious spinoff. There are fast things, and people look furious. This film stars Dwayne Johnson, Jason Statham, Idris Elba, Vanessa Kirby, and Helen Mirren. This is the first spinoff of the long-running Fast and Furious franchise, and... This film looks like it's pitting, I guess, frenemies is the best term for these two right now. It really is. Hobbs and Shaw. That's the alternate title. Hobbs and Shaw. It should have just been called Frenemies. Fast and Furious present Frenemies? Fast Fast and Furious Frenemies. Oh. Triple F. Ooh, like Triple D. <laughs> <laughs> so these two, Hobbs and Shaw, are teaming up to defeat Idris Elba, who is a very um, 
obvious villain. He's I'm Black the, Superman. Yeah, he's Black Superman, he as says. he says in the film. In the trailer. Um, well, we haven't seen the film yet. Yeah, it could just be an alternate cut. Yeah. But if he doesn't say it in the film, I think a lot of people will be sad. Because that and was a be good like, line. Who is this guy? Yeah, who is Black Superman? What does he do? Like, I'm confused. If Idris Elba isn't Black Superman, who is? Chiwetel Ejiofor? I don't think so. Yeah, you're right. It's definitely Idris Elba. Yeah. So... They have to fight Idris Elba, who's a genetically enhanced superhuman. I didn't even know this was a thing in the Fast and Furious franchise. Oh, Fast and Furious franchise gets wild. By the way, Tyler and I, neither of us have seen a single Fast and Furious film, but I have read multiple Fast and Furious Wikipedia pages. <laughs> so I am the expert between the two of us. The eighth installment has Vin Diesel kind of like turning on his family, which is the whole point of the franchise. And they're driving on ice. I just want to say that even though I haven't seen the movie, I have rode the Fast and Furious ride that's part of the, uh, the, tram, a, ride. the tram tour at, at Universal Studios well, that ride's multiple cool. times. That ride's fun because Vin Diesel's head is as big as the helicopter, mm-hmm. which really shows you about Vin Diesel's ego, which is something we can play into with the Hobbs and Shaw franchise, the Fast and Furious present Hobbs and Shaw. Dwayne Johnson is all about the fun of this franchise, Fast mm-hmm. and Furious. But Vin Diesel, from what I've heard, believes this is his vehicle to stardom, to Oscar glory. He once said one of these films is going to be nominated for Best Picture. I think it was Fate of the Furious, the most recent one. Vin Diesel wants the seriousness of this franchise, but Dwayne Johnson realizes that this franchise can be fun, and this is why we have Hobbs and Shaw. And this ego that Vin Diesel has that these movies have to be very serious oh, it's um, caused and big can't be beef. fun caused beef that might have led to the development of this movie because I believe Dwayne Johnson now will not star in a Fast and Furious movie that includes uh, Vin Diesel well reports have said that even working on Fate of the Furious they wouldn't be on set at the same time mm-hmm. so I, I think that Hobbs and Shaw is kind of the perfect vehicle to show Dwayne Johnson's I guess interpretation of what the Fast and Furious franchise could be and you know what I'm here for it because I think Dwayne Johnson is super fun. I prefer him to Vin Diesel. Sorry if you're listening, Vin Diesel. I've chosen a side. And he's going to make an Instagram story about you now. That's what he does for all his That is what Vin Diesel does. (laughs) I don't follow him, but I know that this is the truth. It is the truth. I've learned about this on uh, Fast and Furious Wikipedia pages. (laughs) So this trailer looks super fun. It looks like a fun time. It has a fun song behind it. Why don't we be friends? Or why can't we be friends? It has funny jokes. And there's a good chemistry between Jason Statham and The Rock. And I just believe that this franchise is everything dumb fun you think of when you think of Fast and Furious without any of the heady, bogging you down, like, plot. Melodramatic that, dialogue. Melodramatic, yeah, exactly. And, yeah. That Vin Diesel thinks is so important. And this trailer ends and they are, like, chained to a helicopter that has, like, three cars going off the side of a cliff. I mean... What more could you ask for out of Fast and Furious Presents Hobbs and Shaw, Tyler? Yeah, I think it'll have some really cool action sequences. I have seen like some videos and stuff online of the stunts that they do for the Fast and Furious franchise. I assume they'll do a similar approach uh, with Hobbs and Shaw or Fast and Furious Presents Hobbs and Shaw. Thank you. And that means they do do a lot of practical stunts with real cars and stuff like that. One popular video that I saw online before either Fast and Furious 7 or 8 came out was of this real shot they did of a car just going over the edge of a parking garage and just falling stories and stories down to smash on the floor of the ground outside. And uh, 
the people in the office building across from where they were shooting this apparently were not briefed that this was a thing that was going to be happening, uh, which made for a lot of hilarious internet reactions. Um, so I think that that will be a highlight of the film is the stunts that they do. The comedy that you mentioned, also the dynamic between Jason Statham and Dwayne Johnson, appears to be really great on screen. So I'm excited for that interplay. Um, the only thing that I'm not super happy about, and this is more of a fault in the trailer itself rather than the movie, is we see in the most recent trailer to be released for this film, one of the plot elements is that they have to return back to uh, the village where Hobbes is from. It appears to be a village of some sort of Samoan heritage, and they visit his mom and his brothers. And they it's all say, about family, Tyler. Yeah, they have to go back to their family. And uh, basically one of the plot points that is revealed in the trailer is that the mother has sold all of the guns that Hobbes keeps at that house. And they only have, like, ancient, or not ancient, but, like, it's like more traditional tribal weapons. And they decide to use those against the villain, Idris Elba, and his team his when they're confronted in this place. And I was just thinking to myself when I saw that trailer, like, oh, that's a really cool plot element. And that's one that I kind of wish was safe for the actual film. Because I think it'd be really cool when you think of this, oh, this, this franchise is all about guns and cars and stuff like that. And then all of a sudden they have to have this fight where they don't use any guns and I think it's a, a really clever kind of twist and does deliver a little bit of a more like heartfelt message about like family and roots and stuff like that not in the melodramatic way that Vin Diesel tries to incorporate it into the franchise previously but in just kind of the sentimental way where now it's like we don't have to use like the advanced tech we can like go back to what we know how to do and you see like Dwayne Johnson and all his characters of his brothers and cousins or whatever they might be his family gearing up to fight with these uh, traditional weapons and it looks really really cool and I thought it would have been a really cool thing to have as a surprise to the viewers and kind of subvert those expectations of it's going to be a big shootout and stuff like that. That would have been a cool reveal but for me as someone who is not a fan of the Fast and Furious franchise is a fan of the Fast and Furious Wikipedia pages um, I believe that the more fun crap you can throw on this trailer to sell me on this movie the better because one thing I do not care about in this film is plot points. <laughs> so if you're showing me that there's going to be some cool fun action with clubs versus guns, that's another point in the windbag for me. That's true. And I think that that is the approach that the production company is taking when they cut together this trailer and saying, let's not worry about giving away the plot. Let's just show what makes this movie fun and different from the franchise that it's spinning off of, which I think that traditional weapons piece is a big part of. So based on the trailer, Ryan, I take that you're pretty excited to see this movie. I mean, I might not see it because I haven't seen any of the other films in the franchise and I, that might hold me back. The perfectionist in me might say, hey, or the completionist might say, hey, you got to watch those eight other films first and that sounds daunting, but then I really like watching the trailer. So I say we keep the hold of our record and we never watch a Fast and Furious core saga franchise, but we have to start now and see every single spinoff movie that gets made. Well, I have to support Dwayne Johnson because I'm on his side of the beef. That's true. So you might be right, Tyler. <laughs> if this movie makes more than Furious 7, which is currently the highest grossing Fast and Furious movie, we did our job. We'll know who wins. Vin Diesel will never make another Instagram story again. No, he's going to only make Instagram <laughs> just stories. just Instagram stories. He's just Instagram stories in group now. <laughs> All right, Ryan, let's move on to our last trailer of the episode. Already? This last movie I'm talking about is Blinded by the Light. The Inspired by a true story about a young Pakistani boy who discovers the music of Bruce Springsteen and connects with it and changes the, his lifestyle a little bit to reflect 
that of Bruce Springsteen. He starts wearing clothes that are synonymous with Bruce Springsteen's look. And eventually he travels to the United States to visit the homeland of the boss, as stated so eloquently by the TSA agent at the end of the trailer. This is a film directed by Grinder Chada. How would you pronounce Grinder? Grinder. Well, if one of us said it correctly, we respect your name. And if the other one said it incorrectly, we apologize and we still respect your name. <laughs> the cast includes Vivek Kalra, Haley Atwell, Rob Bryden, Kuvinder Gheer, Nell Williams, and Dean Charles Chapman. And to the average listener like myself, I don't recognize many of those names, and that's because they are the Pakistani actors that are coming to play this story, and I, for one, am excited that they got people of Pakistani heritage to play these characters and have given them a place in a major Hollywood film. But this movie looks like a story of a young man discovering a new thing that he's enjoying in music. He's connecting with it, he's feeling it in his soul, but his family says that's not the kind of music that we should be listening to because this man doesn't speak for us because he's obviously a white man speaking to his white audience. But the main character fights back and says, no, he speaks to me and my struggles as well. So I'm really interested to see this movie and see how this dynamic between the main character and his family plays out and see how the whole world and all its problems can be solved by the music of Bruce Springsteen. Yeah, I'm also really excited. I think that the musical elements of this film look fun, but I also think, like you mentioned, there's a little bit of a more heartfelt, emotional, compelling narrative at the center of it. Uh, The main character is a Pakistani young man who is living in the UK, so obviously already a minority in that setting. And we should mention that this is the 80s, correct? Yeah, I believe it takes place during the 80s. So the height of racism. I mean, Racism has never been worse and never will be worse than in the (coughs) 80s. Because it's perfect and we solved it today. not correct. No one's racist anymore. Maybe aside from the centuries preceding the 80s, the 80s were definitely a racist time in the United Kingdom. The United Kingdom, yes. That's and fair, everywhere in the world. That's fair to say. So I do think that we will see some very emotional, heartfelt scenes of both the young man encountering the world around him and saying, this is a place where I feel like I don't belong, and music being a key piece that helps him kind of reconcile with those feelings. And also between the young man and his family, where his family is telling him, like, this is what you need to do to achieve success, and you can't be concerned with music and girls and things like that. And the young man is saying, I'm just trying to live my, I have to live my life the way that I want to live it. And this music and these people speak to me. And um, I think it'll be very, very heartfelt. Like, just from the trailer, I can tell I'm going to cry during this movie. Even though I'm not, like, a super big Bruce Springsteen fan, I think just the notion of, music being an element in somebody's life that helps them learn more about themselves and connect with people around them, I think is just a very compelling and heartfelt story. And you mentioned the music elements in this movie. Something that's interesting is when he's hearing the word, like the lyrics, the lyrics are displayed on screen in like a visual style that is just showing them covering walls and going in through his ears and showing how when you hear something that speaks to you, how important that can feel and how big and larger than life these words sung by someone you've never met can touch your soul. Yeah, it's a great way to visually represent on screen what this music is meaning to this character without him just like listening through his earbuds and then just saying afterwards like, hey, that's really good. Like it shows visually 
how significant and how important this is to the character in that moment. Exactly. One thing that impresses me every single time I see this trailer, I get more impressed, is that stinger line at the end. That one man who's playing the airport security agent gives the line, and it's such a clunky line that's like very long, but he delivers it really well, and it seems like just to roll off his tongue. And I'm impressed every time he pulls it off. The line is, I couldn't think of a better reason to visit America than to visit the homeland of the boss. The home of the boss. I, whatever the line is, I might have messed it up because I'm not as good as this brilliant actor. <laughs> it's very impressive, and I'm worried that that might be like his only line in the movie. If it is, he's already at peak. It's a, it's very well done. You're you're correct. So. He is the standout of this trailer to me. Sorry, Haley Atwell, you were in this movie and I mentioned you, but you have like a second of screen time as a poetry teacher or something, but this guy is blowing you out of the water. <laughs> and I have to say, when I did reach that stinger scene, we see um, the young man in the airport preparing to enter the U.S. and he hands the white TSA agent his passport and I'm gearing up for like some racism, Uh-oh. basically. And then he just delivers this flawless, hilarious line and stamps his passport because he's like, Way to go. I'm a huge Bruce Springsteen fan, too. It's just about the best way that interaction could have happened, I Honestly, think. Honestly, if you're not sold on the movie by that point, you are definitely <laughs> sold by that one performance. And he's bringing it home. Absolutely. Back to the home of the boss. Fully agree. Um, and as I mentioned earlier, I'm not necessarily a huge Bruce Springsteen fan. Neither am I. And we've talked previously about a movie that seems at least fairly similar, incorporating music that people are big fans of into a modern sort of like heartfelt story which is yesterday the movie coming out with the music of the beatles and even though i love the beatles and i'm very excited for yesterday i would say i'm very similarly excited for blinded by the light even though i'm much less of a springsteen fan than i am a beatles fan and that's just because it looks like the way that they're going to incorporate the music into this heartfelt story is going to be very very well done and so even though i'm not as big of a fan of of the music I still am very much looking forward to seeing the movie and seeing the story. I agree with you completely. You know what else we can do, Tyler? What else can we do? We can play some games. Let's play another game. Yeah, I'm feeling it. All right. Well, since you got to quiz me, this time you will be the quizzed and I will be the quizzer. All right. I hope you're prepared. Do you accept? I do accept. Wow. I haven't even told you what we're playing yet. This game has a name, and it is the movie name game. It sounds like a terrible name. We didn't invent this game, but we did, or I did, write all these clues and come up with We made it our own. Exactly. We're not stealing, we're borrowing, and it (laughs) is without permission. Um, But it's not copyrighted or anything, so we're fine. So basically the premise of this game is, I'm going to give you a synopsis of a film, but it will be two films mushed together into one one to three sentence synopsis. Okay. The first film will be a 2019 release, such as Captain Marvel. One that has already come out this year, or one that is coming out this year? Let me check. Mm, they have all come out this year. Okay, so they're all already been released this year. Yes, within okay. the last six months and 21 days. Wow. And the second film can be any film... From the history of time. Oh no. But I've seen every film, I think. No, I haven't. But you might have seen them. <laughs> I haven't seen no. If you're not following at home, I'm sorry. But here's an example that might help you out. 
So here's a freebie example that you helped me write, so you know the answer to, Tyler. Following childhood trauma at the hands of his psychotic father, or psychotic father, a psychic man returns to the Overlook Hotel to rescue a comatose princess after her unfortunate encounter with a spinning wheel. So this is, of course, referencing the upcoming 2019 release movie, Doctor Sleep, which is a sequel to Stanley Kubrick's The Shining and the Disney movie Sleeping Beauty. So I believe the combined title that you'd be looking for is Dr. Sleeping Beauty. Exactly. Wow, you did the one you helped write. Good job. The <laughs> next ones will be harder because you don't know what's coming. That's correct. Here we go, the real game. Just like your game, there are six. Wow. It's like we planned this. Mm -hmm. All right, here's the first clue. In modern day England, a schoolboy retrieves a legendary weapon, makes friends with a magician, and embarks on an expedition to a mysterious island and encounters a giant primate. All right. This is referencing uh, the release earlier this year starring Andy Serkis' son. Yes, Serkis Jr. <laughs> and uh, Patrick Stewart, which is the kid who would be king. And also, I guess, one of the iterations of the movie King Kong. So I believe you're looking for the kid who would be King Kong. Correct. Wow, I love that. And I want that to be a real movie. <laughs> it's just like a little boy who grows up to be, <laughs> to king, be Kong. king Kong. To be King Kong. Yes. All right, here's the next one. A young woman whose family is in the process of being deported meets a young man who attempts to make the woman fall in love with him in 24 hours while dealing with the Trade Federation blockade and an old threat that has recently resurfaced. You're referring to the film that you and I both haven't seen that came out this year, uh, which is The Sun is Also a Star and Star Wars. Sorry, the full title of the Star Wars film, please. The Trade Federation Blockade is the key. Answer. Star Wars The Phantom Menace? I was looking for The Sun is also a Star Wars Episode One, The Phantom Menace. Oh, okay. <laughs> Alright, you're good at this, and it's because I'm such a good clue writer. It is, well done. Wow, I should be getting a prize for this game, honestly. Our next film, unwitting teenagers ask a woman to buy alcohol for them, but little did they know that they were in for more than they bargained for. It is revealed that this woman knew the teenager's parents while in high school and is on a musical quest to discover which leading man is her true father. <laughs> I love this. You're talking about uh, Octavia Spencer's, I guess, horror movie, Ma, and the uh, film interpretation of the Broadway jukebox musical with the music of ABBA, Mamma Mia, which I guess would just be Mamma Mia. Yes, the movie is Mamma Mia. <laughs> that one was fun. Alright, here's the fourth clue. After defeat at the hands of a galactic titan, our heroes must team up on an adventure that they once thought was just fun and games, but now they know better that the men who broke into their home were not actors, but they were actual members of organized crime. I believe you are combining the recent iteration of the Marvel Cinematic Universe with a recent Jason Bateman comedy. Yes. And this would be Avengers Endgame Night? Yes, Avengers Endgame Night. <laughs> Clue 5. In this supernatural romp, our hero uses his giant red fist to fight both the underlings of Satan and the trials of growing up in the early 2000s. Oh, okay. I think I know what this one is. Is it Hell Boyhood? It is Hell Boyhood. <laughs> Alright, last clue. Oh, one more. Okay, I thought I was miscounting. Okay, let's go. After surprisingly be hire being hired at her dream job as a writer on a nightly comedy show, a woman must fend off the temptations to fall asleep to stay away from the supernatural ver burn victim. Mm, 
okay, this is the Mindy Kaling comedy with Emma Thompson, Late Night, mm-hmm. and the horror movie that kicked off the Freddy Krueger franchise, yes. A Nightmare on Elm Street. Yes. So this would be Late Nightmare on Elm Street? Yes, Late Nightmare <laughs> on Elm Street. Congratulations, Tyler. Six out of six. Well done. Those are great clues. Thank You're you. right. You should win an award for this. Yes. Unfortunately, I have nothing to give you except a round of applause. Well done. Thank you. And since you won, I would like to also give you a round of applause. That's enough. Alright, I thought my applause was better, but whatever. So, to wrap up this episode, Ryan, I'm going to ask you our two closing questions. Number one, what's your favorite trailer that we discussed this week? And number two, which of the movies we discussed this week are you most excited to see? Well, obviously the best trailer that we discussed this week was Fast and Furious Presents Hobbs and Shaw. That movie looks so fun. The movie I'm most excited to see is Blinded by the Light. Sorry, Hobbs and Shaw. I'm not as invested in the Fast and Furious universe as I am in the trials of this young man whose name I don't even know and his journey through Bruce Springsteen's magical tapestry of music. (laughs) Tyler, I'm going to ask you the same two questions. I think I'm going to agree with you. My favorite trailer this week was Hobbs and Shaw. I loved the comedy that was in it. It is fun and it makes me want to see the very first movie that has Fast and Furious attached to it so it's gotta be a pretty good trailer right and then I think the movie I'm most excited to see is Blinded by the Light I think that you might have thought that I would say Lion King I did because I know you're not excited to see Lion King and I am but I think generally I am more excited to see Blinded by the Light because I do value this original story that's coming to screen when compared to a remake even though I am very excited to see both of those movies wow so you know what that means Tyler what? It's our very first tie Ooh. for winner of the episode. Hobbs and Shaw is consensus the best trailer, but Blended by the Light is consensus the most exciting movie. To determine who the true winner is, I'm going to hold up a number behind my back, and you will guess which one, Hobbs and Shaw or Blinded by the Light, is behind my back. And I've already assigned them a number in my head. One of them's one, one of them's two. If you guess this number correctly, they win. If you guess it incorrectly, they lose. You may guess. I'm going to guess number two. You have guessed correctly, which means the movie that I assigned number two is the winner. And today's winner is Blinded by the Light. Yay. That's by the, that's the, the behind one. the back winning strategy trick. <laughs> the most convoluted ever way to break a tie. I didn't have a coin. <laughs> <laughs> well done. Blinded by the Light. Uh, it looks very exciting if you haven't already seen the trailer for this movie or heard of it because I do feel like it is one that is rather under the radar yeah your mom didn't know about it do go look up go look up the trailer check it's it out it's on YouTube it's coming to theaters in August and on the 14th of August 2019 we're both very excited for it alright thanks so much for tuning in to another episode of Preview Review the movie trailer podcast hosted by myself Tyler Ellison and myself Ryan Toon you can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Preview Review that's Preview R-E-V U-E. Just like Fast and Furious present Hobbs and Shaw, please respect our full title. And the correct spelling of our full title. Yes, that is H-O-B-B-S ampersand S-H-A-W Hobbs and Shaw. (laughs) Anyway, that's all. That's all we got for you. Bye. Have a great week. See you next week. Bye. I already said bye.